everyone and welcome to episode number two of A Leap in the Dark with John De La Cruz. As you know, this season we're talking about generative AI and its impact in the classroom and the kind of cool things that other creative educators are, are doing with this brand new tool. Today we're going to be speaking to Joseph Lebrecht, who is an Adobe Education leader like myself. Um, and this is how we got to know each other, really, is through the Adobe Education Leader community, through conversations, through meetups, and you know, as a result of COVID, actually a lot of stuff online, you know, and collaborating on a number of different projects. I can honestly say that Joseph is one of the most technically able people I have known in terms of um, Adobe Creative Cloud and other related um, related digital tools. And so I'm hoping that he can shed some light on the ways in which generative AI are finding their way into the classroom within creative education. Joseph um, teaches at CU Boulder, like Dan Ligon, who was in um, episode number one. So it'll be interesting to hear what Joseph's take is. And of course, you know, if I've misrepresented him in any way, here's an opportunity, Joseph, for you to introduce yourself a little bit more accurately. Yeah, thank you, John. So yeah, that's, I mean, it's pretty spot on in terms of, you know, how we know each other and what I do for, for a living and, and so forth. So yeah, it's been interesting the amount of, you know, stuff that's come up in the past, I would say, year very strongly around AI, especially in terms of what people are looking for. It seems like everybody's got sort of a different different avenue to it, but it, it all kind of arrives at the same place, which is an interesting thing. Yeah. And it's interesting that you point out that within the past year, I mean ultimately that's um it suddenly appeared, right? You know, and um I discussed this with Dan last time is um all of a sudden we find we're talking about it and then all of a sudden we're finding that, hey, we're using this stuff, you know? Number of different tools, of course, that are available to us in the classroom as a creative campus. I'm exploring the use of Firefly and ideation in particular and seeing where students' ideas can go. How are you using generative AI in the broader sense within a classroom scenario? Yeah. So within the classroom, I think it was probably about two years ago that I started using it and demonstrating to students how they can, can use it for ideation, as you as you mentioned, both with uh, generative text and also generative imagery. And this predates Adobe Firefly by quite a bit. I have a particular class that I teach on uh, user interface design and user experience design. And one way that I've encouraged the students to use things like ChatGPT, like BARD and so forth, the more text-based uh, generative AIs, is when they have to come up with a concept and a feature set for uh, an application. This is primarily a studio-based class, right? So they're working on projects the whole time in small groups and, and and things like that, little teams. And, you know, the initial thing they have to do is to do some research and to pitch a concept that they would like to flesh out and see be elevated to this sort of group project that continues on through the bulk of the class. So many times, as I'm sure you know, students, you know, come up against sort of a a blank wall when they're trying to to get these initial concepts and ideas going. 
So I've suggested that they use things like this uh, as a helper so that they can derive some additional ideas from whatever little seed that they they happen to to have and to believe in. They can you know use that as the the initial bits uh, to prompt the AI in order to generate and derive other ideas from that. And from there, they should be able to take those ideas and sort of, you know, flesh them out, make them their own and drive them in a certain way where they can present a concept that's worth exploring in that space. Right. We've also looked at things like uh, like Midjourney, like Dali and now, of course, Adobe Firefly in order to get ideas for a visual generation if they're doing UI. Um, if they've got a concept on hand, whether it's derived from any sort of uh, AI or just from their imaginations, you know, they need some starting element in order to to think up like what should the logo for this application be? You know, what's the color scheme going to be like? What are some actual visual ideas for this? And the generative visual AIs can help quite a bit with that. Yeah, I like the fact that you you talk about it as a as a helper. You know, it is kind of um, a starter motor, isn't it? You know, it's like sort of um, let's kind of, like sort of crank up the imagination and um, work from there. And it kind of like sort of um, breaks the whole blank canvas problem that a lot of our students do tend to face. You know, so it's kind of like sort of giving them something to work from rather than that blank screen or blank page. ChatGPT is an interesting one. I've not used it personally, not within the classroom. Within UX and UI, are you finding that that's kind of um, helpful in terms of generating entire applications and websites or just feature sets? Is it kind of like in the small detail? So it's it's interesting because I've played with it in order to generate like code, right? Because I was formerly a, a developer uh, at my previous institution. And, you know, I spent years and years writing all sorts of different types of code from ActionScript to JavaScript to uh, Vue and Angular, uh, some Java, all sorts of stuff, PHP, Laravel. The thing is, something like ChatGPT, if you ask it, because this stuff is well-documented. And since these AIs, most of them just go off and they just scrape existing information from the internet, you know, they've got all of this documentation and how these things work, how these languages function, uh, how these platforms go together. So if you were looking to do something like that, right, you can actually ask ChatGPT like, hey, I need to iterate over an array uh, using ActionScript 3, let's say, because I'm a Flash guy. <laughs> And, you know, it'll actually generate that for you. It'll give you examples of exactly how to do that. And it works. Of course, you need to have the previous knowledge of how to use that code snippet and where to insert it and where it would be useful. But like, you know, if you're drawing a blank as to like, oh, you know, I'm not used to this language. I'm just learning it. Um, but I know how to program. I know how to code. You know, you can ask the AI hey, using this language, I need to see an example of this, and it will show it to you. Super, super useful for reference. I think I may have deviated a little bit there from your question. No, totally not. I mean, it is fascinating, really, because, I mean, you know, code and me, we don't really get on. I, You know, something I wouldn't touch. However, I do teach lots of um, UX at times. And so if, I'm just wondering whether 
ChatGPT will be a useful addition to teach alongside the human-centered design process, for example, right? So that we can do more than just simply prototype. Um, so like expanding into the area of development, you mean? Yeah. Yeah. It it can be a help again, you know. My particular class, you know, we get up to a finished prototype. Yeah. And then we kind of deviate into sort of the the marketing aspects mm -hmm. of it. We talk about developer handoff, but we don't actually try to implement that ourselves. These students aren't aren't developers at all. Mm -hmm. Right. Some of them have maybe taken like an HTML class, a JavaScript class, or something like that. But yeah. You know, as far as actually taking a prototype and translating it into something that's a working app in whatever platform they're choosing, it would be an entire other class, right? And are there any problems, you know, inherent within the use of ChatGPT? I mean, that's the one that we kind of hear a lot more about because students are using it to to create lots of, you know, papers and essays and what have you. But within our fields, is ChatGPT a problem, do you think? I mean, I, I think all of these things, as long as the students recognize them as an assistant mm -hmm. and not something to just like generate and then just use straight off, you know, like I have a generative AI syllabus statement now that I put in there and I try to emphasize that, that it should be used to, you know, ideate and to create elements or at least create the visualization of these elements that the students can then use as part of a greater whole, right? So like just figuring out what the pieces are, because that's what a lot of this stuff is, right? When it comes to design, any kind of design, you're trying to figure out what pieces should be included to make up the whole work. Yeah, totally. And I think that that whole idea of having a statement there, you know, we're used to putting statements in our syllabi uh, in relation to, for example, you know, Zoom classes and so on, you know, protocols and what have you. So, yeah, I mean, it's just, um, it kind of makes sense. I've not really come across any problems so far. I've only been using it really this semester, but not ChatGPT. I mean, where I'm at really has been within the Adobe suite, you know, using the Firefly-powered stuff, you know, Firefly on its own, but also the elements that you're finding in Express, for example, just for lots of for quick ideas generation, and then lots of I'm going to be moving it into Photoshop, for example. You know, lots of I'm doing generative fill and so on, which is is kind of fun. There are some some things that I haven't touched yet. You know, like for example, the generative elements within Illustrator. Only because I I don't know personally, I don't feel that it's very functional. I don't know, just lots of typing out a mood to get like a color palette. It's um, I'm sure I can find the color palette in in another way. You know, without having to write it down. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I mean, in terms of Illustrator, I think the prompt to vector stuff mm. is probably more, much more interesting and useful than the recolor stuff. Mm. And the recolor stuff's neat. It's like, okay, yeah, you can maybe get some ideas or something like that and use it as a starter. And again, I see, I see a lot of this stuff is very similar to like if you're using Lightroom mm. for photography and you're applying a preset. And then you don't just keep the preset like it is, right? You apply the preset until it gets you like halfway to your goal. And then you go in and you fine tune those particular details. I see a lot of this stuff as like the same kind of way. Like we said before, like just jump starting things. And I've used, you know, I've, I've integrated Firefly 
And now Photoshop's generative AI content to my larger class where we we teach, uh, you know, many of the design tools inside of the Adobe Creative Cloud. Right. Mm -hmm. And we already had, you know, like last semester back in spring 2023. Right. Mm -hmm. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Or yeah, it was 2023. Yeah. Yeah. So back then, um, like in the middle of the of the semester or towards the end, you know, is when Adobe kind of announced Firefly. And I was psyched because I was using all these other, you know, generative AIs already. And it's like. I didn't even know Adobe was looking into this stuff. And, you know, now that they are, it's going to make a lot of sense for me to adopt it into the different classes that I teach and to different workflows that I use and and so forth. So, you know, they got a little taste of, of that kind of stuff back when we were doing it. Yeah, we were way at the end. So I used Firefly, for instance, to generate a background image for a digital ad that we're, we were creating inside of Adobe Animate. Mm-hmm one of those last weeks. Um, so, you know, I, sh- I kind of compared it to Adobe stock or other, you know, stock based websites where you're looking for like some kind of like a placeholder holder material or something, um, or maybe even something that is functional that you'd be able to use to get your concept across. Right. And then once the concept's approved, yeah, then you send out a photographer to actually do, you know, a proper shoot and everything, get exactly what you want. But, um, yeah, I mean that's that's how I started using it with the students. Is like, yeah, if you can't find exactly what you want on a stock photography site, maybe uh, you know Firefly can generate something for you that's very yeah. close to what you're imagining. Yeah, and of course they're going to be integrating Firefly within stock as well um, as more images are kind of generated and um, kind of populate the internet. I guess you know, in terms of like of, uh, of using it in that kind of a way. I mean, I'm finding Firefly that's so super useful. But yeah, it is ultimately, and this is a conversation I keep having, it is about those stages, pre-production, ultimately, you know? Mm-hmm. Whereas externally, outside of education, outside of the creative fields, a lot of the conversation is about, hey, can we be replacing producers? Can we like sort of, you know, remove the need for graphic designs? That usual kind of conversation that appears every time that new technology makes a mark, right? Yeah. Can we remove graphic designers, you know, because Microsoft Word can create layouts and posters. You know, I remember that one uh, from years back. And of course, you can't remove the human, can you, from the the robot? I mean, I don't think so. If you look back, right, I mean, something like Firefly is so, like, well-trained and super advanced right now, right? But you look back on some of the early generative AI, especially for visuals, and you know, you would get some really nightmarish content, no matter what you would say, right? Um, and part of that, I mean, that that's that's part of what kind of attracted me to to looking into this stuff is because every time I would generate something, yeah, I would be like, that's amazing in a chaotic and nonsensical way, you know, and, you know, just, just bizarre visuals that would come out of that because yeah, the, the machine is stupid. Mm-hmm. It, it, I mean, it's very, um, it does its, its job in, in accordance with how we train it. Yeah. But um, by itself, if you just left it alone and you didn't have human influence over it, you're going to get just the most random of things. Yeah. You know, I do love that random 
element though you know it's um in the ideation exercises i said it's just finding you know sort of um students really playing with the text prompts you know and the images that emerge from them take them to places where they wouldn't have gone otherwise and that's that's ultimately like so what i'm really enjoying yeah that kind of creativity and that that's the thing that's interesting about these different models is a lot of them do have a particular skew to them mm -hmm. so like with firefly right it's trained mostly on on adobe stock content mm -hmm. you know because of that it's got a skew toward that sort of photorealistic content and th their model too that's in beta is like like you can get some amazing details out of that. I remember the day after Adobe Max when they announced their Firefly image model too, you know, I went in and purposefully tried to render like a very close up image of, you know, a cat's eye sort of thing. I can't remember the exact prompt, but yeah, I could see all the little pieces of fur on the cat's nose and like all these details. And they, they were very believable, mm -hmm. very photorealistic. Yeah. That's ultimately what we're missing right now, I think. And that's why it's not production ready. You know, there's there's that kind of uncanny valley kind of approach still that that doesn't feel right, you know? Um, what about like sort of um in terms of film, in terms of moving image, do you think that generative is gonna have as big an impact as it is doing in I guess in print, for want of a better word? This is another one of those things, right? Where we were just talking about, you know, the beginnings of generating visuals in early models in early AIs that generate visuals from prompts and just how nightmarish they are. I kind of see video at that point right now. So it seems to be about two years behind. Mm -hmm. And it makes sense, right? Because video, you're not dealing with a single image, right? You're dealing with an entire sequence of images. So the AI really has to work to get it going. Most of what I've seen is, again, part of that thing that's just like, you know, I'm viewing these things. I haven't generated any motion, uh, any video content through an AI personally, but uh, some of the examples out there are pretty wild, especially when it comes to advertising. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you can look yeah. up on YouTube, you know, like find me an AI generated ad for this or that. And the stuff that you get is absolutely insane. And it's part of that thing where you just you just laugh at it right now. But again, in a couple of years, it's going to be much more useful. Right now, I see it as that same sort of thing where it's like, oh, it's fun to generate these things. It's fun to consume these things. But in a bit, it's going to be an actual like very useful tool to generate content. Yeah, I think we're in, in a really exciting phase right now, you know, where we're kind of exploring these things and they are hit and miss at times, but then some are good results and they're certainly prompting the imagination a lot more. But just to kind of sort of um, quickly before we round up, um, I always do like to touch upon the whole ethical question. You know, it's the idea that all of these images, of course, have a creator behind them. How do we reward the creator adequately? Or do we need to? I mean, are we looking at public domain issues because we are scraping and combining and kind of, sort of um, marrying elements from different images? Are we really like sort of, um, stealing or are we just simply borrowing? Yeah, you've probably seen, you know, a lot of, you know, very, very passionate people who are against any sort of AI when it comes to uh you know, visual generation and so forth, simply because there's the idea out there that it's all, 
you know, stolen, that it's all scraped from publicly available stuff. And sadly, for the most part, that's true, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. Like most of it actually is just kind of like scraped from publicly available visuals that are just out on the internet, whether they're watermarked or not, whether, you know, the creator has given their consent for it or whether the creator even cares about it. You know, you, you talk about, you know, somebody who creates something, whether it's, uh, an, you know, an author, a photographer, a, a fine artist, whatever it is, you know, you've got different sort of ideas about what it means to create something and put it out there, depending upon who you actually talk to, right? So like you'll talk to one person and they're like, I don't care. Once I put my stuff out there, it's away from me. I created it, but it's out there. You know, I released it to the world and whatever happens to it happens to it. You get the same kind of thing where, you know, people are like, you know, after, after I'm dead, what do I care anyway? You know, that's another view on this sort of thing. It's like, just, just use my stuff. I don't care. And then you've got other people, right. Who they are very protective of their, um, their personal content. They're like, I created this and this style is mine. These works are mine. And anything that you want to do with it, you know, you must get my explicit permission to do that or else it's a violation of trust. It's stealing. It's all of these, you know, other things. Mm -hmm. So you've got the whole range of opinion when it comes to, to this stuff, just from creators themselves. And then you've got people who teach this stuff to those creators, right? And they've got opinions all over the place too. With most things, I personally try to take a, you know, a moderate approach where it's like, I recognize that, you know, yeah, a lot of these AIs have completely just like, you know, without even thinking about the consequences have made use of, of these, these people's works, you know, and, you know, it probably started off very innocently where they're just like, we need content to train our thing. So the web is here. Let's just set it loose. <laughs> right. And, you know, I, I can see that, right. It's available out there. You can set it loose. You can train it on whatever's publicly available, like a person, um, myself or, you know, a student or anyone can just go out on the web. It's the nature of the web. It's, it's hyperlinked, right? You start in one spot and you branch off to all these different spots. And of course, a machine can go through and do that way faster than a human being can. But, uh, you know, machine, uh, of course, doesn't have any conception of copyright or, you know, ethics <laughs> or anything like that. It doesn't even know that it is. So you need people mm -hmm. to set those parameters. And, you know, it's, it's nice to see, we've talked about Firefly a couple of times. It's nice to see that they're taking, you know, a more cautious approach and um, how they are training their stuff. And, you know, they're actually compensating um, a lot of the stock contributors if their work has been used to train the Firefly image models. Um, you know, a lot of those people are seeing, you know, some some residual compensation be added on top of their regular Adobe stock sales, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And that, I think that's right. I mean, that's why I'm favoring the use of Firefly at the moment, really, is because I'm seeing more of that kind of conscious effort, you know, to, to be aware of, you know, 
the stuff, the material that you're using in the first place. So at the same time, and then just, um, I guess really some final, some final thoughts, Joseph, now that we've allowed generative AI into our creative process within the classroom, can you see a way in which it would ever go away or are we just moving forwards with it? And do we grow? Do we grow from here? Yeah. I mean, I, I don't see there's any way at all of going back. Mm -hmm. And I think that's part of the reason why, in my opinion, we have to deal with it as a non-ideal situation when it comes to, to ethics right now. Right. It's like, okay, this, this is here Mm -hmm. and people are going to use it. Everyone's using it. Everybody's talking about it. You can't put it back in the box, right? It's just not possible to do that. And what we need to do is just say like, okay, we're at this point. Some mistakes have been made perhaps, right? Um, at different approaches to, to training these models and implementing uh, different technologies and, and so forth. So at this point, we just need to sort of like understand that just to, just to have this understanding between one another that, you know what, this stuff is here. What can we do to be more responsible in the future with it? Um, what can we do to, um, you know, perhaps, you know, if there's mechanisms of compensating people that have, you know, unwillingly contributed their work to to training these things, is there anything we can do there? Um, and it's going to depend on the on the particular piece of technology, right? The particular AI, because I'm sure a lot of that stuff, if it was just thrown out into the wild, mm-hmm. who knows if it's even trackable in terms of where it's uh, trained the different models on. But a lot of the stuff, you know, it is trackable. Some of the, even some of the stuff that's like, you know, not entirely ethical. They've got different models to, right, to, to, to be able to prompt and to get a particular very focused style out of something because they trained it particularly on, you know, this one person's work or this group of people's work. That stuff is very easy to figure out. Like, yeah, we should probably make good with these people, <laughs> you know? So it, it, it's, it's, a, it's a mess, but I think it's a mess that we just kind of have to deal with. Yeah, absolutely. And it wouldn't be creativity if it wasn't messy. You know, this is what we kind of thrive on, right? So it's been a great conversation, Joseph. Honestly, it's um, I really love lots of listening to all the different lots of takes. And I think ultimately as creative educators, I keep finding that we tend to be in the same space and the same mindset of this stuff is um, is here. Um, we're going to use it. We're going to explore it. It's great for like, developing ideas. And let's see where it takes us. And so ultimately, thank you for um, a really lots of um, engaging conversation and go and enjoy let's have some fun with this stuff all right yeah thanks for thanks for the invitation and for for setting this up 